Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Hallelujah. Isaiah 59, we're learning how to get answers from heaven. And as I said this morning, I wanted to go um, in the direction of the help of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And um, we're just going to follow the direction that the Lord has for us to get there. Because I really want us to see the importance of what we pray in the next few weeks to open the way for what the Holy Spirit can speak through Pastor Steele and through Pastor Caldwell in our faith explosion. When we have these moments, um, these specific um, set times in the presence of the Lord, we don't want to just treat them like a casual meeting. We want to recognize this is something on God's calendar and this is something that God considers to be a special event for His uh, um, distributing of specific things, whether it be an impartation, whether it be anointings, whether it be uh, light, answers. Uh, we want there to be a liberty in the Spirit for these things to be uttered. We want there to be a boldness. And so... I want us to recognize the importance of the preceding prayer to certain uh, events, specifically in our case, this upcoming uh, faith explosion, and not just to, to just, you know, skip to Malou, my darling, our way into this meeting and not have the proper uh, road laid, not have the proper stage set, not have the proper expectation and spiritual preparation that is necessary for uh, what God wants to do in our life. And so Isaiah 59, this has been uh, the, uh, the, base, the, the text that we've launched out on, and I want to just continue in that flow. Isaiah 59, 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. The Lord's hand is not shortened. Hallelujah. Are we glad for that? Are we glad that God's hand is not shortened? So no matter how difficult the situation may seem, it's not beyond God's reach. No matter how lost your loved one may appear, they're not gone so far that God can't reach them. His hand is not shortened. His hand is not shortened and His ear is not heavy. And we've talked about the fact that that word heavy means dull of hearing. Jesus identified in Matthew 13 that there were people, the reason he would speak in parables is because there were people who were dull of hearing. They were no longer uh, sensitive uh, to hear. And, but God, he's not like that. He is so, uh, so much our God, that every person on the face of the planet could call out to Him at the same moment and He would hear every prayer distinctly and clearly. Amen? His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. And so we've talked about the weight of our prayers. 
And we talked about the impact that our prayers can have. Psalm 34, 15 says that his ear is open unto us. His ear is open unto us. Amen. 34, 15 of the book of Psalms, his ear is open. Glory to God to the righteous and to their cry. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. So God hears us distinctly, especially this emphasis on the righteous. That's talking about people who have a relationship with him. 3417 of the same chapter, 3417 again identifies that the Lord hears and then it takes us a step further to, to explain that he will deliver. The Lord, the righteous cry and the Lord hears and he responds to our cry. He responds to our calling out to him. Psalm 145 and verses 18 and 19. I'm just doing a, a quick... Uh, uh, repetition of some of the verses we've already covered just to bring them to clarity to us. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near unto all them that call upon Him. Do you be, are we beginning to see a pattern here of our calling before His response comes? He is near unto all them that call upon them, to all that call upon Him in truth, in truth, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and save. And the word save means rescue. It means liberate. It means restore. It means heal. It means bless. So it's a word that is, uh, it is a, a word that is a, a, a full circle kind of word. It's a, a, an entire word. He will rescue your whole life. Finances, marriage. He'll, he'll save you. He'll liberate you in all of these areas. Amen? And notice the cry of the righteous. It's our voice that opens that action of his delivering. And then we looked at Revelation chapter 5 because we're wanting to see the response our prayers get. What happens to our prayers after we pray them? Where do they go? What happens? Are they just random sounds that we've made and cries that we've made? Are they recorded somewhere? Are they written down? Uh, does God go back and read through our prayers and say, what did he ask me for? No, it says in Revelations chapter 5 that our prayers have their presence in heaven. Look here at verses, uh, let's look at verse 8 of this chapter. And then I have another uh, text in Revelation. Revelation 5, 8. When he had taken the book... The four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, and that means fragrances, which are the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. Where? Where are the prayers of the saints? In heaven. In heaven. Revelation chapter 8 also identifies this in verses 3 and 4. Another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints. The prayers... Now, the saints are the righteous. We're not talking about St. Peter, St. Paul. We're talking about uh, St. Sarah. 
Amen. We're talking, uh, we're talking about St. Michelle and, and, and St. Jillian and St. Gracie. Hallelujah. The prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. Upon the golden altar. Oh, that's where our prayers go. Upon the altar of God. That's the weight that our prayers have. That's the importance that our prayers have to God. He hears our cry. He hears. He's in tune to your channel. He's in tune to your voice. He's in tune to hear when you call upon His name. He is listening and He has your prayers as a, a, in a place of importance before Him. Do you remember Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter 10? Do you remember Cornelius? Cornelius wasn't even in covenant with God yet. He was not even, didn't even know how to receive Jesus. He just wanted to know God. He was just hungry to know God. And the angel said to him, your prayers and your giving, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial. As a memorial. A memorial is anything that serves to keep in the memory. Anything that serves to keep in the memory. So the prayers of this man were keeping what he was asking in God's memory. Not that God has a problem with his memory, but it is a, 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 an indicator that someone is calling out, an indicator that someone is hungry, an indicator that someone is reaching for that salvation. Amen? So he said, your prayers have come up before God. And the angel was sent because of that. And Peter had a vision because of that man's prayer, telling him to not call anything unclean that God had called clean. And then the Spirit of God spoke specifically to Peter and told him to go with the men who were down at the gate. So we got supernatural words of wisdom. We've got visions. We've got uh, angelic visitations, all because one unsaved man was praying. How much more you and I who are washed in the blood, the righteousness of God in Christ, how much more when you pray? How much more effective can our prayers be? Amen? So we want to see that our prayers have weight. Our prayers have importance in the plan of God. And uh, let's look also at Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, because we're wanting to see the activity that is going on that in this seen realm, in the natural realm, we may not always recognize. But because we know we're not limited to this natural realm, we need to identify what takes place when I pray. So in Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel had been reading, it said in verse 2, I understood by books. The Moffat's translation, it said, I noticed in scriptures. So he's reading scripture. He's reading the, the plan of God written in the scripture. And he comes to a place. Uh, he said, uh, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah that we would, uh, he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So he begins to pray about what he had read in Scripture. He said, I set my face unto the Lord my God to seek by prayer and by supplication. Supplication, do you know supplication is more often referenced than intercession in the New Testament? 
but people spend more time emphasizing intercession, but supplication is, is more often referred to. Supplication is a prayer that you, you are praying with all of you. I mean, every fiber of your being. You are involved in this. You are sold out to this prayer. You mean it. It's, it's a heartfelt, earnest prayer, a supplication. So uh, he's, he's seeking God by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So we see what he's doing. He's seeking God. Verse 20. Jump all the way over to 20. And while I was speaking, because from here in verse 4 all the way through here, we get an idea of what he said in his praying. But verse 20, he goes back to telling the story. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, while I was speaking in prayer. So he hadn't even left the prayer yet. He started seeking while I was seeking in prayer. Even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give you skill and understanding. Raise both your hands. Father, I want skill and I want understanding in Jesus' name. The angel said, I'm come forth to give you skill and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the commandment came forth and I am come to show you. So at the beginning of his crying out, does the Lord answer when we cry out? Is the Lord hearing our prayer? At the very beginning, Gabriel was sent with a response to what he was praying for. At the beginning of your supplication, the commandment came forth. And I am now come to show you. So he was wanting to understand. He was wanting the skill. And God immediately responded. Same book, chapter 10. Daniel 10. Daniel 10.1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. So he understood, but it was tarrying. It had not come into manifestation yet. He knew what God had said, but it wasn't coming to pass yet. So, verse 12, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself before God. He was fasting. This is the 21 days where he was fasting. And he said, he said From the first day, from the first day, from the first day that you set your heart to understand, your words were heard, and I am come because of or for your words. So from the first day you started praying, from the very first day I was sent, I'm come. The answer started coming toward him the first day he started praying. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 14, now 
I am come to make you understand what shall befall your people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. So again, we see he received an understanding as a result. He received an answer. God answered him immediately. It took 21 days because of the demonic interference. And uh, so Gabriel had to call for Michael and, and with the help they broke through. But you and I don't have to wait uh, for an angel to get to us. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us. God will speak to us through the inner witness and give us answers and insight. Praise God. And so, uh, but what I want us to see is there was an immediate response to the prayer. An immediate response to the prayer. So we now have scriptural basis for the impact that our prayers have on situations, for the impact that our prayers convey into uh, situations and circumstances. Now, we kind of took a side course uh, the few weeks ago when I was teaching on this before because we had to establish what causes a lot of people to neglect their responsibility in prayer is they think, well, God is so sovereign, it doesn't matter if I pray. And they miss the covenantal aspect of how God ordained and delegated authority to mankind on the earth and the importance of a man, a righteous man or woman on the earth taking their place in prayer to pray the will of God. So let's look at the book of James chapter 5 and let's establish uh, this uh, with the example that God gives in James chapter 5. Because if you think no matter what you do, God's going to do whatever is sovereignly uh, His choice, then you're not going to pray effectively and you're not going to lay hold when you need to lay hold and you're not going to resist what you need to resist because there's this back in the back of the mind perception of, well, it doesn't matter. God's going to do what He wants to do anyway. So is that why He had to come down and talk to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah? Did, was God sovereign in what the Sodom and Gomorrah uh, 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 citizens were doing? Were they doing that by God's sovereign plan? God hated it. He didn't like at all what they were doing. It wasn't God's sovereignty that allowed them to live the life that they were living. So if God was sovereign, they wouldn't have been doing what they were doing. Am I right? And see that idea how, how people will, will answer questions that they don't have a better answer for. They'll just say, well, God just wanted another angel in the choir. God just needed that baby in, in, the, in the, the baby choir in heaven. God took that young mother of three children and it was his time. It was her time because God's sovereign. Or there's the devil loose. A devil who steals, kills, and destroys, the Bible says. There's a curse on the earth that has to be resisted and overcome by the blessing. And so we've got to recognize that there are, are most often things that are put over into that category because people have not been taught and have not been disciplined to respond to the Holy Spirit and to see their need to pray and to see their responsibility to pray and, and, and to be used of God as an instrument 
Think of God's sovereignty when you think of the Syrophoenician woman. The Syrophoenician, or the, uh, the, uh, the Shunammite woman. The, was it God's sovereignty that her son who he had given her died? Of what looks like to be a heat stroke by scripture? Was that God's sovereignty that he just gave that woman supernaturally because she honored God? He gave her the desire of her heart, such a desire that she said, please, don't mess with me. Don't play with me. That's a desire of my heart. Don't trick me, man of God. That's a desire of my heart. God gave her the desire. Was it his sovereign act that that child died? If she had thought it was God's sovereign act, would she have gotten up and went outside and said, get the cart ready, I'm going to see the man of God today? Would she have done that if she thought, well, it's the Lord that gives and the Lord who takes away? You know, Job said some things that God reprimanded him for. He, he, they, are, they are in the Bible, but they're not spoken by God. They weren't spoken utterances from God. It was somebody trying to explain what had happened with no light. And Job had to repent for what he said. He said, Lord, I have uttered things. Because God never answered all of his whys. All those chapters of why did this happen and why did this happen and why did this happen and what did you do, Job, to cause this to happen? And how come this and for what reason? God came in chapter 42 and never answered their question. Because it was the wrong question. It was not the proper question to be asking. They, they came, they, they didn't know about the devil. We can see who was responsible. The devil did that. He, the devil came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And got him over into fear. And he said, I fear to fear. And the thing I feared came upon me. He was highly developed in that fear and opened the door. And when the devil came before God, God said, what are you doing looking at my servant Job? What are you doing? It wasn't, hey, 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 have you seen Job? Come look at Job. You want to tempt somebody? Try Job. God didn't say that. What kind of loving father would do that? What kind of a good God would do that? God thumped the devil on the chest and said, what are you doing looking at my servant Job? He is righteous before me. And when the enemy said, yeah, but God had to admit, because God's not going to lie, what he has is in your hand. You can't find a scripture that says God put it there. You cannot find it where God says, I give you full right. Who gave him the right? Job feared and he broke down the hedge of the blessing with the fear. He feared the fear and it came upon him because he said continually, perhaps they've cursed God. He said it continually. It was something that he developed in. So when we began to look at the fact that they did not know, Job did not know anything about the devil and God could not have explained it because there was nothing Job could do about the devil. All he could do was enter into covenant with God and trust God. And when he finally said, Lord, when God came down and he said, tell me what you know about how I made the world. Tell me what you know about how I measured out the water in the palm of my hand. Tell me what you know about how I did this and how I did that and what I did. And so Job finally said, I am a man of unclean lips. 
I have talked out of both sides of my mouth. I've said things I shouldn't have said, and he repented for what he said, and God turned the situation, and everything that had been held back because of the fear that had come in to destroy, all of that blessing was unleashed that had been stored up and backed up, and when it came flooding back into his life, how many of you know that God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you have all sufficiency in all things? When, when, the, when the flow began flowing again, it filled up and overflowed until he had double what he had before the attack. But God wasn't in the attack. God wasn't behind the attack. God wasn't responsible for the attack. God wasn't signing off with permission for the attack. Job opened the door with fear. But when he turned back to God, God heard his cry. He answered and he set him free. Hallelujah. So the key then, when it tells us in the New Testament, even here, I think it is in James, where he says, consider the end of Job. That's what the Holy Spirit says for us to look at. Consider the end of Job. But you know what everybody wants to do? They want to focus on Job on the ash heap, scraping his boils. That's not what we're told to look at. Look at how God turned it. Look at how God turned it. That's what we want to look at. We want to look at when he called out and got right in that place of repentance that God was able to turn and undo what the enemy had done. He was able to bring back with the blessing and restore everything that the enemy had stolen. And more. Double. So when we began to see this, we've got to understand our part in prayer. We've got to understand our part in the standing. We've got to know that God is going to... uh, utilize my prayer. He is going to uh, strengthen my prayers in His will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, let's again look here in James. And we want to look at verse 17. Actually, 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The Weiss translation says, a prayer of a righteous person is able to do much as it operates. Able to do much as it operates. So is it important for you to pray? It's able to do much. The uh, Young's Living says, and this is my Yoda version, Let's look at my Star Wars girl over here. Very strong is a working supplication of a righteous man. Can you do? Very strong is a working supplication of a righteous man. The Moffat's translation says it has a powerful effect. The prayer of a righteous man has a powerful effect. And then the Amplified, of course, is one of our favorites. It says the prayer makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. The heartfelt, earnest, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Well, so if my prayer can make power available, if my prayer can make power available, 
it's kind of like stocking the shelf. That when I'm praying for someone, and, and we're not just talking about the prayer of faith to receive something for ourselves, but we're talking about be a lifestyle of prayer where I'm praying for people, I'm praying for situations. Can we stock the shelves of our president to have light on decisions that they need to make? Our governors, our, our mayors, can we stock the shelves? Are we instructed by God to pray for those who are in authority? Right, and so if we don't, are they lacking power? If we're not making the prayers, is that what it says? Let's look specifically so that we know what we will be held accountable for. In 1 Timothy, what are we going to be held accountable for here? Because I will have to admit to you that when I first got saved, I didn't have enough confidence in my praying to think that I could pray very, pa very far past my... Uh, my need for gas money or, or grocery money. Much less that I could pray anything that would help anybody in any office in the, the nation, right? But 1 Timothy 2, 1, I exhort therefore that first of all, first of all, first of all, does that put a, a category for us? First of all, supplications, again that word supplications, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. For all that are in authority. Hallelujah. Prayers and supplications, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all who are in authority. Well, that would include our nation. That would include... Here spiritually, authority in the house of God. Hallelujah. So if you're going to pray for your president, you surely want to pray for your pastor too, right? Amen. So we want to pray for those who are in authority. And then he says that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So our prayers are connected to the life that we get to lead based on what's going on in these eminent places, these places of authority, have we made power available to them? Have we made power available? Has anybody in the room ever read the book The Triumphant Church by Kenneth Hagin? The Triumphant Church. Uh, this is in The Triumphant Church and it's also in I Believe in Visions and he talked about the uh, vision of the frogs. And, and I'm going to order the Triumphant Church, and, and have it available because every one of us need to read the Triumphant Church. Amen. It is one of the most important uh, revelations because we're not the militant church. We're not, we're not the, the church, the, the defeated church, the militant church. We're the Triumphant Church. Amen. There's so much revelation in this book. But anyway, in that... Uh, the, in one of the visions and experiences that Brother Hagen had, he saw this vision of the three frogs coming out of the ocean. And the Lord identified that the frogs, they were huge the size of whales. And he says those were attack, three attacks. And of course, the oceans represent the multitudes. And he said this was back in the 50s. And, and God directed him and he said, the church did not pray. And because the church did not pray, those three attacks hit America 
uh, without any resistance. And then Jesus identified that, that the church would have to give an account for that lack of praying for their president. Is it in the Bible? Is this Bible to you? Do you have dear, and you got your name at the front, right? Dear Jim, dear Carrie, it's to you, it's to me, right? He says we need to pray for those who are in authority. So, for kings, for all that are in authority, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. I don't want my state to allow abortion. I don't want it. And because I have residents in two states, I don't want either one of them to allow abortion. And I have a say-so. I'm going to make some power available. I'm going, to, I'm going to speak up in the realm of the Spirit. And I speak to that and I, I ask the Lord, Lord, I don't want this to be a pro-choice state. I don't want abortion to be legal on demand in my state. I want this to be a state that honors God. Let me tell you what else I want. I want our nation to love Israel. I want us to be friends of Israel. I never want us to go contrary to the, the, the nation of Israel. And we've got to have people in the White House and people in the government, the governors, the Congress, the senators. We need to love Israel. We've got to ask We've got to do our prayers. Where are our prayers? Are they coming up as a memorial? Does God hear them? Then he, when, if, you're, if, if, if we're not calling out on behalf of the unborn, then we're not making any power available. So, well, what does my prayer have anything to do with it? The Word of God says the Lord hears our prayer. The Lord hears our prayer. So can you see I'm not just talking about our, in, our needs. Definitely we can use our faith and we can use prayer for our needs, but if we want to lead a quiet and peaceable life, we've got to enter into the prayer room and we've got to make supplications, especially as we go to vote. We, you know what I'm calling for? I'm calling for righteous votes. I'm calling for God to stir up the body of Christ nationwide to go vote in line with the Bible. I don't care about parties. I am not interested in parties. But, but if they allow abortion, they're not getting my boat. If they are pro-abortion, I am not a part of that. If they are, are, are going to encourage same-sex marriage, I can't vote for you. You just set yourself against what I honor God and I honor His Word and I can't give you my vote if you're going to put in legislation that's going to bring a curse that's going to open a door for the ungodly. I can't vote and I'm praying for the righteous to vote righteous votes. Hallelujah. Because we've got to honor God. We've got to honor God. So When we look here at the responsibility in prayer, we recognize. Now, I'm going to move away from that. I've touched that and and we can see our responsibility. But I want us to see an even greater responsibility, Acts chapter 4, to what God wants to do in the plan that He has. Acts chapter 4, in this text, they were threatened not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 4, let's look at verse 
23, and being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, and now we began to see their prayer. And if you have a center column reference in your Bible, you're going to find out that they began quoting scripture. The first part of this, for instance, uh, this, uh, this first part, uh, they lifted up their voice and said, Lord, you are God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea. That's uh, uh, a scripture uh, from King, 2 Kings 19.15, verse 25, who by the mouth of uh, servant David has said, and now he's quoting Psalm 2.1, and then verse 26, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers gathered together uh, against, I believe that's also, the, he's, they're, they're, they've got scripture references for their praying. They're coming on the basis of the word. And then they come down here in verse 29 and says, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Grant unto your servants boldness. Brother Hagin said, it's always proper to pray for boldness. It's always proper to pray for boldness. Grant unto your servants boldness that they may speak your word. Hallelujah. Boldness. Boldness. They're praying for boldness. Is it God's will that they be boldly proclaiming the word? But they're still praying for boldness. Did God grant them boldness? He did. He did. He, they said, grant unto your servants boldness, uh, that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching forth your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So we see an immediate answer to that prayer. And you continue in chapter 5 and you can look at verse 12 and see the extension of that answer. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Signs and wonders wrought by the hands of the apostles. And he said, stretch forth your hand to heal. That signs and wonders would be done. So at the end of the 1950s, I believe it was, end of the 40s, at the, uh, uh, Brother Hagen was still pastoring at the time. And he said that this was a scripture that God brought to him and he began to pray. And as he was praying over it, he noticed, you know what I'm praying? I'm praying for the power gifts. Because signs, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings, I'm praying for the power gifts. The, the working of faith is going to produce signs and wonders. He said, I, I began to realize I'm praying for God. To, and he said, at that time, nationwide, there was very little, very little of the moving of the gifts of the Spirit, very little of the activation of God's gifts, manifestations of God's power. And so he said, I don't think I was the only person praying it, but I know God had me pick up that scripture and begin for the power, pray for the power gifts to be in manifestation. And then when 
the voice of healing days, what he refers to as the voice of healing. We know in the 50s there was a move of God, a supernatural flow of God's Spirit where people were coming into tent meetings and, and children's feet were being formed where their feet had been deformed, eyes forming in babies who had no eyes in their socket, supernatural manifestations, supernatural. How many other people were praying that before it ever came on the scene? How many other people were praying for the power gifts to be in manifestation in that way? And God responded with this supernatural moving. Amen? Was it God's will? It was God's will. Why wasn't it happening? Nobody was asking. Nobody was asking. Nobody was hungry for it. Nobody was desiring that. There are things that God wants to do and our asking, our lifting up our voice to ask is the, in the uh, activation for it. It's what opens the door for God to be able to minister in that way. John chapter 10 talks about Jesus being the door. John chapter 10, let's look at verses 1 through 4. Verily I say unto you, He that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Hallelujah. So we recognize that with the opening of the door comes the hearing of the voice. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice. So that open door then provides for the hearing. The open door provides for the people to be able to hear, and as a result of hearing, they can now follow the Good Shepherd, the opening of the door. Can, can we recognize some doors in the Bible? And, and we, don't, we don't want to move, we don't want to get just clicheic with this. We want to see spiritual openings. We're not just trying to find something that sounds deep. I, wanna, I want us to see that we can open things. We can make power available and we can open, we can open uh, the door for people to hear some things. We can open the door for utterances. That's what we want to pray because there are divine utterances that will bring about acceleration if they can be uttered. If they can be uttered in this camp meeting in this faith explosion, they can bring us an acceleration. But we need to pray for the door of utterance. So we see here, let's look at, at a few doors. Acts chapter 16, some openings. Let's, let's call them openings for a moment. Acts chapter 16 and verse 14. We're here in the New Testament, right? Yeah. Acts 16, 14, a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple 
of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. Did, did she open into that community for the gospel to be preached? Why? Because the Lord opened her heart. The, the porter opened and she could hear. She it opened that she attended the things which were spoken of by Paul. So the Lord opened her heart and as a result, she heard what Paul was preaching. As a result of the door of her heart being opened, there was a hearing that caused all that she was connected to. She opened up her influence as a result. But it started with the Lord opening her heart and with her heart open, she could hear what Paul was preaching. She could hear what the Spirit was saying. She could hear what God was speaking through Paul. She wasn't just hearing Paul then, was she? She was hearing the gospel being preached through Paul. She was hearing the spiritual utterances that were coming through Paul. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 4. Verses 1 and 2. After this I looked and behold a door was opened. A door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Which said come up hither and I will show you things which must be hereafter. So this is John who is on the Isle of Patmos, and he begins in an earlier part of this conversation to say, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And that phrase, in the Spirit, according to Rick Renner, who is a Greek scholar, he says that phrase, in the Spirit, is, is actually referring to the fact that it came so suddenly, I had no warning that it was going to happen, it, it happened to me so abruptly, it, it was something that completely caught me off guard. I, and all of a sudden, boom, I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. It, it is a word that is talking about something. There were, there were no indications that He was about to move there. There he was no indications that there was going to be a shift in the atmosphere or a change. But he says, it was sudden. It happened abruptly. There was nothing to warn me about what was happening. Suddenly I was in the Spirit. This is John who calls himself the one Jesus loved. And yet he hears the voice of Jesus. And, and the, it's such a, a... He recognizes the voice because that's the voice of the one who loves him. And all of a sudden he turns, but he sees him in a way he's never seen him before. He sees him standing as the glorified high priest in his high priest apparel, standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And he begins to receive all of the indication of what's taking place currently in the situations in those churches. I'm so glad he, he participated in moving into the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I'm so glad that he was willing to move into a place where he could receive information there was no natural way for him to receive. 
but yet a door was opened and for him to have the information about what was to come, he had to leave the realm where he was receiving the information at the current today's situation. And he says, I need you to come up from where you are so that I can show you things to come. And there was a door opened. And there are things that for us to be prepared for what is to come, we need to go in the door. We need to enter into the place where God can speak to us about things to come because the Holy Spirit, part of His job assignment, part of His ministry assignment as our, our, our paraclete, our coach, the one who is called alongside to help, part of that assignment is to show us things to come. God never wants you to be caught off guard. He never wants you to be at the disadvantage of trying to play catch up with what the devil's doing. You can always be ahead of the attack. You can be ahead of the decision. You can know what to do before it's necessary to make the decision. Why? Because the greater one lives in you. And you've just got to enter into that door in prayer with him so that he can show you things to come. Hallelujah. 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 The first year that we were pastoring here, Pastor Steele, this was before uh, some of the changes had been made to the board, and uh, he had riled some feathers when he preached that Jesus came in the form of a man and that he laid aside all of his God powers and that when he spoke to the wind and the waves, he did it as a man anointed by God. And that was the best-selling tape we had ever sold in this place because they wanted to hear. They thought he said something blasphemous and they were going to kick him out. Anyway, there had been a group trying to, to um, you know, and then he took out the pews. And then uh, we took out all the hymnals. And so by the time it came around to vote whether they wanted to keep the pastor or not, that first vote, they were still voting whether he got to continue to be the pastor or not. And uh, uh, he had been up praying, and he saw, in the Spirit, he saw a woman, he knew her, in this church, one of the board members' wives, pick up the phone and call somebody. He saw her on the phone. He saw the other person pick up the phone, and he heard the conversation. They were saying, we're all going to vote this way. Vote with us. And he said, I knew it by the Spirit before we ever went into that situation. And then someone came to him and said, said to him, I got a phone call telling me how to vote. This person called the pastor and, and now he has the ability to confront it, but we'd already been praying. See, when he got the vision, he began praying, Lord, bring it to the light. Show me how to deal with that. Show me how to deal with that. And so they came in here for the vote 
And we'd already, he, he'd already confronted because when the person came, when he prayed, Lord, show me how to deal with that, bring it to the light, and that person came, he said, I'm going to have to confront that board member to deal with his wife because that's gossip. And so uh, uh, he, he called in the board member and he confronted the board member and that was a whole other story. And, and, uh, um, but when it came time for the vote, we'd already had the ability to pray it out. We'd already had the ability. And they wanted to come in and just have the vote and everybody go home. And he said, oh, no, no. We don't come to church without hearing the word. We're going to have the word. And then he, there was still an altar right up here. And then pastor sat down on the altar after he got done preaching. And he said, y'all can go ahead and vote. And they said, well, you can't stay in the room. And he said, there's nothing in the bylaws that say I can't stay in the room. I'm staying right here. And he said, y'all go ahead and vote. Hallelujah. Do you see how God doesn't want us to be caught off guard? God doesn't want us to be caught off guard. If we'll, if we'll listen, if we'll participate, He'll show us things to come. He'll show us. So there are doors. This door, it says, uh, a door was opened, and by going through there, He could see things which must be hereafter. He said in verse 2, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one set on the throne. And it goes on to describe even on through the rest of this chapter and the next chapter about worship in heaven, what the atmosphere of heaven is like. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that we have that revelation. I'm so glad that we have that because He went up into that door to receive that information. Amen? Now there are also geographical doors. Let me, let me cover this one as well. Uh, when we're talking about doors that reveal things to us, doors of revelation, we talked about in Acts chapter 10, Peter's vision. Peter's vision. Well, Peter had a set mindset about the Gentiles. And God had to reveal to him through that vision. He had to open up in that in that. Um, revealing not for him to call unclean what God had called clean because it went against his mindset. It went against his teaching. So God had to bring revelation. He had to bring him into a different place of understanding. And then when they went and began to preach to these Gentiles in Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit fell. Nobody even had to lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues and all of the Jewish people who were with him who didn't have the vision, they said, there's no way. They, they were convinced now because they're speaking in tongues, they knew there's no way that they could be saved and receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost except God had saved them. So it was an evidence to them, but God began that with giving a revelation to Peter through that vision where he was up on the rooftop and he saw something. So there are things in the unseen realm that we need so we can finish our course. There are things in the unseen realm that we need to see so we can finish our course. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
You're not going to be able to do it all with just your head knowledge. You're not going to be able to do it all with just natural man's wisdom. You're going to have to have the insight of the Holy Spirit to reveal things to you that eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard and has not entered into the natural heart of man. But God reveals them to us by His Spirit. By His Spirit. It says we have not received the Spirit of this world, but we have received the Spirit uh, which is of God so that we might know those things freely given to us. So we've received the Spirit so we can know. That's the reason we have. So the Holy Spirit will open the door for us the same way that He is the porter who opened the door for Jesus so that the voice could be heard. He opens the door for us, helping us into things in the Spirit that we can't get into any other way. Into revelations, into understandings, into victories, into insights. Uh, Lynn Hammond tells the story of... Uh, a trip that she took, a ministry trip that she took, uh, the week after 9-11. She said that, that they weren't even sure she would go, but her and her husband prayed about it, and she said, I felt like I, I needed to go. And so a week after 9-11, she took an international trip, and she said she had made the mistake of scheduling her speaking and her, her flight so much that she took this 14-hour flight overseas and went straight from the airport to the pulpit. She said, I got up in the pulpit that night and I preached on the authority of the believer. And she said, it didn't seem to be very exciting. I was tired, you know. And, and she said, I got done. And she said, as a matter of fact, I noticed that there was a man, I think he was supposed to be ushering, but he had fallen asleep. While I preached, he was sitting by the back door. She said, he was asleep while I preached. And she said, I got done with my message. I closed my Bible and I said, let's pray. And she said, we prayed for about 10 or 15 minutes. And she said, "Um, I noticed that when I started praying, she said, I just began praying and I began praying in tongues. And the man got, he, he came to himself. He woke up and he started looking for a piece of paper She said, I didn't think that much about it. Just thought maybe he had forgotten something and just remembered it. And she said, the next day, I came back for the second session. And it was in that evening service. And that man came up to her. And he began to talk to her. And he said, I am a man who has been placed in charge over uh, terrorist activity here in this nation. And it was not a very important job until last week. And, and he said, I got this job because my parents were missionaries to Pakistan and I can understand that language. And that's why he had been given this job. And so he said, last night when you started to pray, I woke up and she said, about that time I remembered he's the man that was asleep in my service. <laughs> he said, I heard you praying and I woke up because you began speaking out the name of a terrorist cell that we have been trying to locate. And and she said, as far as I knew, all I was doing was praying in tongues. But this man began, she said, he, he said, I grabbed a piece of paper and I began to write down because you were giving the address. And today, 
Today, we went to that location on a stingray, a sting raid, and we, uh, we, dis, we found exactly what you said was there, that camp we had been looking for that was raising up young terrorists, and we dismantled it. How did they hear it? <laughs> How did they hear it? By the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. There, were, there was an utterance. Can you say utterance? There was an utterance. Answering. Answering something that was vital. Answering something that was only seen by the Spirit. He had to, there had to have been a spiritual participation on her part for it to be uh, uh, conveyed. Hallelujah. 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 This is... This is the, the opening that we want to provide, the opening. Um, she tells about when they first began their church in Minneapolis. And she said that they would go out into the community to invite people, to pray with people, to get people saved. And she said, it, first of all, not very many people from their church would come and attend it. And they weren't having very good uh, results with it. And so she said, we began to start a prayer meeting on that same day that we went out into the community. And she said, we, we would pray. And she said, for two years, we had this prayer meeting. And she said, from the very beginning of that prayer meeting, there was an unction. And she said, there was, a, there was just a, a flow to pray in. And she said, we would get in there and we would pray. And, and the Holy Spirit was there helping us. The Holy Spirit was in that praying. And she said, for two years we prayed. And at the, she said, somewhere about the end of that two years, one day we came to prayer and there was nothing. It was just, she said, we thought, what have we done wrong? Where, where are we missing it? What is wrong? And she said, nothing was wrong. We had just prayed through. She said, that Sunday, a man stood up who did not, was not a part of that prayer team, was not a part of the going door to door, but that man under the unction of the Holy Spirit said, you have broken through an adversarial resistance and now you're going to see the result of it. She said, the very next night was Monday. And she said, we hadn't announced it. We hadn't done anything different. She said, 250 people showed up to go out on the streets. And we asked them, why did you come? Usually there was 10. 250 people showed up to go out into the streets. And she said, why did you come? We didn't announce it. We haven't done anything to advertise it. Why are you here? And they said, something just told us to come tonight. And that night, they led to 2,500 people, 2,500 people to the Lord that night. Hallelujah. She said, we didn't realize it in that prayer meeting. They were just so used to coming in and praying, they didn't realize it when they'd prayed through. Do you see how there's a praying through of some things, an opening of the door for God to move in that situation? So the Apostle Paul, are you impressed with the Apostle? I'm impressed with the Apostle Paul. I, I think that the revelation that he brings in the two-thirds of the New Testament that he is responsible for writing, I'm impressed with his ministry. How many times do you see him saying, and pray for me? You know, he goes through the whole teaching about the armor of God. 
and teaching about the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, your shield of faith. And then he says, praying always with all uh, supplication. There's that supplication again with prayers and supplications. And then he says, and pray for me. Can we see it? Let's look at Ephesians 6. Pray for me. What does the Apostle Paul want us to pray for him? What can this man who has so much revelation and so much insight, why would he need their prayers? Hallelujah. He says here in verse, let's start in 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me. That utterance may be given unto me. That utterance may be given unto me. That's what he wants. Here's this great revelator, this, this man who has so much insight, and he's saying, I need you to pray for there to be utterance because it's one thing for the preacher to know it. It's another thing for the congregation to receive it. The preacher can only give what the congregation can receive. That's why we want utterance. We want there to be a, a, a liberty in the room. We want there to be a flow in the room so that that minister doesn't have to say, they're not ready for that. They don't have to hold back, but the Holy Spirit can bring what's in the depths of that person to us. He said, pray that utterance would be given unto me. I, I once heard that the Wesley brothers, you know, there's John Wesley, Charles Wesley, and that when they would have their meetings, that they would build their, their preaching with a, 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 a floor that underneath the floor there was the prayer room, and if it started getting hard to preach, they'd stomp on that prayer. They'd, come on, y'all, down there praying. We need some utterance up here. <laughs> we need some utterance up here. So he says that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Boldly as I ought to speak. So when we look at this, it sounds like Paul is just talking about needing some boldness. But there are two different Greek words used in verse 19 and verse 20. The first word in verse 19 it means to have that courage to not draw back, which is what we would automatically think when we see the word. He said that I would speak and open my mouth with courage to not draw back. But the second word, when it says that therein I may speak boldly, it is a word that means reservoir. Reservoir. That I can speak out of that reservoir that I can speak out of that spiritual supply. Hallelujah. So it's not just that he was lacking confidence and needed for his people to pray 
for him to have confidence. He's saying, I need to have the capacity to reach into the reservoir of what's been, uh, the, what's in this, the realm of the Spirit's knowledge. And to, there are some times when the, pe the preacher is preaching, when the pastor is ministering, that they, there are things that come out we didn't know we were going to say till we say them. You know what I'm talking about? You, you began to flow into something and you say, I'm going to get the CD because I think I need to hear that when this message is over. Why? Because it's, we don't want to just hear what the person, we want to hear what the gift is saying. The pastor can minister out of the gift. I, I was, we were uh, talking with Pastor Caldwell this past week and I've said this to him before, but I, I try to keep him uh, aware that we recognize this. I said, you can say things because you have operated in the gift of the pastor, the office of the pastor, to such a level, to such a development. So you're so skilled, and it's not a human skill. It's just that he's worked in that spiritual room. You know, when Elisha was told to go and anoint, when Elijah was told to anoint Elisha, he said, go stand him, to anoint him to stand in your room. To stand in your room. Anoint Elisha to stand in your room. Hallelujah. That's what the King James says, to stand in your room. And, and a, a, a minister can be skilled in that room, in that office. And Pastor Caldwell can say some things, and I could have said the same thing, but it doesn't carry the same weight because he's saying it from a different skill level. He's saying it from a different level of anointing. He's saying it from that place in the office. And when it comes out, it just has safety in it. I mean, he can minister and I just feel safe. I just feel, I mean, that's the pastor at work, the pastor's office. Hallelujah. The, the pastor's office draws sheep. There's like a supernatural magnet in the pastor's office to draw sheep. Hallelujah. And then to make those sheep feel safe when they're there. And you think, well, well that person's a good preacher, but yeah, are they, are they a pastor? Because the pastor doesn't even have to be the great preacher if they can just be in the office. Because it didn't say people need great preachers. Great preachers can lead people astray. Great preachers can lead people with wrong motives. Great preachers, they can have a skill. They can have a natural talent. They can be emotional. They can get people hooping and hollering and shouting and dancing and, 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 and reacting. But are they operating in the office? Are they flowing in the plan of God? Hallelujah. So that's why we don't want to give more honor to somebody we see on TV because they impress us. And than we do to our pastor who feeds us. Woo! Hallelujah! Where do we want to give the honor? To the, to, he gave gifts unto men. None of those did it say preachers. The gifts. Do they preach? But that's not the gift. What is the gift? The apostle, the prophet, the pastor the teacher, the evangelist. Did it say the preacher? No. The gift is the office. The person standing in the office. The prophet teaches. The prophet preaches. The teacher teaches. The apostle is going to preach. 
the evangelist is going to preach. But if they're not in the office, then that's not the gift God has given. And what's the gift going to do? The gift's going to bring maturity. He has given gifts unto men. For what purpose? For the edifying, for the building up of the saints, the edifying of the, of the, the body of Christ, till we all come in the fullness of the stature, the fullness of the measure in Jesus Christ, so that we're not like children tossed to and fro by winds of doctrine. See, good preachers don't have a lot of doctrine usually. So I don't want to just be a good preacher. I want to operate in the call that God has because that's where you're going to get developed. That's where you're going, to get de- you're going to get developed from the gift that He's given unto men. Hallelujah. How did that come about the door? I'm trying to talk about doors. I'm talking, to, talking about revelation. I, I want us to have utterance of the Spirit. I want us to hear what the Spirit wants to say. And so Paul said, I need you to pray that there would be utterance. That the, not, he didn't say that I could preach from his standpoint of the ability. It's that when I get there, I need to have the freedom to speak. I need to have the, the flow of the Spirit to give the utterance. I've gotten up to preach in places before. I've gotten up to preach in times in, in our campuses where people are busy with holidays or busy with... with outside distractions and I'm is anybody paying attention to what the Spirit's saying in the church today and and it's just like you brother Hagen said he would get up to preach in some of those churches and it would be like bouncing a ball off the back wall it just come right back at him well we want to have the utterance but he says that it's prayer that can open the door for that utterance He says, pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth with the confidence to not draw back, to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, and that therein I may speak from that reservoir as I ought to speak. That I can speak out of that flow of the Spirit like I ought to speak. Amen? So we want that door to be opened. So... The Apostle Paul, he tried to go somewhere with the gospel, didn't he? Acts chapter, let's look at 16. He tried to move into Asia and the Lord forbid him. The direction that he was going, well, didn't the command come forth to go into all the world and to preach the gospel? Doesn't it? Why then is he being restricted from entering in? Let's look here at Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And they were come to Mysia. They essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Aren't you glad they were led by the Spirit? And they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. Remember that name, Troas. 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed unto him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, he immediately endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. So he tried one direction, he was redirected. He went in another direction again. He was forbidden to take that direction. And then he gets this vision, this dream, and uh, uh, goes in, in the direction that that was leading him. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 what he calls it. What he calls this, Troas. It says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel... And a door was open unto me of the Lord. He wanted to go one way, the door was shut. He tried to go another way, the door was shut. But this way, the door opened for him to preach the gospel. The door was opened unto him by the Lord. Now, God wasn't intentionally just neglecting the preaching in Asia, but he evidently had a specific plan. And we talked about this a little in prayer this morning, but you can see how it plays out if you look at chapter 19. Chapter 19. God's door is going to be an effectual door. God's door is going to be a a, a profitable door. And so... He's gone around this other direction and now here in chapter 19 it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, remember that, these were disciples he found, finding certain disciples he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. So they're disciples, but they're not even walking in the fullness of, of, of Christ yet. They're not even walking in the light of, of who they are in Christ or even being saved uh, by the blood. So he preaches Jesus to them. They get baptized. And it says he laid hands on them in verse 6. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. And all the men were about 12. So they had a church of 12. If we allow today's standards to establish to us what makes or marks a strong church, we're going to miss what God marks as an open door as a, 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 a profitable location for the gospel to be preached. They had 12 people. 12. Hallelujah. Was it an important church? Hallelujah. We're about to see why. We're about to see why this church of 12 became a geographical door for the Lord. It says there were 12 men... He went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spoke evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples. So is this church of 12 still with him? 
I would say they'd probably grown in this three months, other people being added to it, but it specifically remarks these disciples are continuing with him. He has been ministering with this church that started with 12. It says, he separated the disciples disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. Now, Rick Renner talks about this area called the school of Tyrannus. And he, 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 having investigated the history, he says it was right in the center of a metroplex and it was a school, a place of learning that they used in the morning and the evenings when it was cooler, but then they would take the middle of the day off and according to history, Paul was preaching using that facility during this time, but it was in the center, the epicenter of this area, so there were always people coming and going and it was a well-known place so it really caught uh, the attention that he was there ministering so he is there ministering in this area and continued by the space of two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia did it say all all who dwelt in he was trying to get to Asia three chapters ago and the Lord forbade him going in the door he was trying to go through, going in the way he was trying to go. But when he followed the path of God, he entered in through a door that through this door, he was able to preach to all who were in Asia. It says in your Bible and my Bible that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Glory to God. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. When you get a place where there is an uninterrupted utterance, there's also going to be an uninterrupted flow of manifestations of his power. He was able to work special miracles by the hands of Paul because Paul had found a place of utterance. Paul was working in a door. And I'll show you what he calls this door in, um, let's look at, um, hallelujah. Is it Colossians 4? Let me look at that scripture and see if that's what I want. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a Colossians 4 and then there's another one in 1 Corinthians. Let me see if Colossians is what I want. Because we all want to be in the place where God can work special miracles. We want to be in the place where the Holy Spirit can have uh, His manifestations in fullness. Um... Well, Colossians 4 uses the phrase door of utterance, but it's not the one I'm looking for. But notice again, he is praying for it. Pray for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. So look at this other one that I have here in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. So with three evidences of this phrase, doors of utterance, I think we have a witness we can pray for a door of utterance in our church services. Can we pray that? Yes. Let's pick that up in prayer and let's begin calling out for there to be utterances by the Spirit. Utterances that bring us an acceleration. Utterances that help accelerate the plan of God. 
utterances that bring us answers in life. Here we are, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Let's look at verse 9. This is the one I was wanting. He, is, he says in verse 8, I will tarry at Ephesus. Is that where he is in Acts 16, Ephesus? He's there in Ephesus preaching in that epicenter at the school of Tyrannus. He's preaching and he says, I will tarry at Ephesus for a great door, a great door, a great door and effectual. This word effectual means a working door, an active door. It's the same word that's used in Hebrews 4.12 when it's talking about the word is alive and effective. The, the effectual word, talking about the word of God. He uses that same word to describe this door. And what's the door? This utterance that he has in this place. It's not the school of Tyrannus. It, it's the utterance that he has there. It's the utterance that he has in that community. The utterance that he has in that location. Uh, a minister... Uh, wanted the, um, they were going out to minister in a certain part of town. And every time they would come to this certain part of town, they would, on one side of the street, they could witness to people, they could give them a gospel tract, they could pray with them, and people were receptive. But as soon as they crossed over to the other side of the street, it was like, uh, the, the, it was ice cold. People would not take a tract. People would not respond to the gospel. They wanted nothing to do with the preaching of the gospel. And uh, on that, that block, there was uh, a, it was full of uh, porn shops and prostitution centers and, and uh, a gay bar, all kinds of different things on that block that were totally contrary to the preaching of the gospel. And they said, as soon as we would cross over, we would encounter this resistance. And uh, this minister remembered reading uh, years ago about a, a minister who was trying to reach in Bolivia. And um, uh, on one side of the street, they would experience... Uh, a, a, a freedom, a liberty to preach the gospel on the other side. They would, and so what that person did was went and rented a, a place to preach in on that other side to have the right to preach the gospel over there. And so this ministry did that. This ministry went down and, and said, we rented a room, an empty building in this location and just didn't even put any furniture in it. They just went down there and prayed. They would go down into that, that storefront that only had the, the, the light bulbs in the ceilings, and they would just pray through the area. And they said, as, as they were praying uh, one day, the unction, the, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the ministers who was there from the church, and this minister walked over and laid hands on the wall. On the other side of that wall was that bar. And the Spirit of God came on that minister and commanded that bar to close. And the very next day, it was boarded up. The very next day, it was boarded up. And... That was the breaking point. From that moment on, they began to experience liberty there. 
And if you go to that part of their city today, all of those negative, sinful, ungodly things have been torn down and there's nice shops and and theaters and it is a, a nice place to go shopping now. But the stronghold was broken down by taking the geographical location and, and, and bringing the, the utterance of the Spirit into that place. Hallelujah. And so the effectual working door that he obtained in this place, he calls it a working door, an active door, full of power to re- achieve results. That's what we want. We want there to be utterances. We want there to be a flow. We want there to be an accuracy that's full of power to achieve results. It's not just going to happen because we put it on the calendar. It's not going to happen just because we have a great preacher, a great pastor. It's going to happen because we're calling out to the Lord and saying, Lord, we want to hear what you have to say. We want, when Pastor Caldwell comes, we want him to have a liberty to speak to us, no holds barred, nothing holding him back, that he can, he can bring to us every supply in his arsenal, that he can, he can distribute out of a full supply, out of that reservoir to us. We want there to be an utterance, and not just for us, but we want there to be an utterance that changes our community. We want there to be an utterance that, that brings a liberty for, for all of the people to hear the preaching of Jesus Christ. It, don't we want an open door in our community? Don't, I mean, we've got an open door, but we're going to have a greater effectiveness. We want an effective working door in our church. We want this church to be a place where, where God can bring through us answers and bring through us revelations and bring through us a strength and a supply to people's lives. Hallelujah. 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 Martha Cowan was a woman who was mightily used of God in prayer. We called her Mother Cowan. She was here when we came to the church. Her daughter Joyce passed away today. Was it this morning? I believe it was two weeks ago when Pastor was here. He got a phone call and Joyce asked him to stop on his way to church and pray for her. And he led her to the Lord and she said... My mom came to me in a dream and told me that you would pray for me. He hadn't seen Joyce in a number of years, but he went and ministered to her early before church on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago. She passed away a lot quicker than anybody expected, but we know where she is. Do you know why? Because there was an open door here for her. That, her. that she would have a dream and her mother in that dream would tell her to call Pastor Steele that he would come and pray for you. And she would have that openness to share her heart and to, to pray to make sure she was right with God. Hallelujah. Don't you know that blesses Mother Cowan who was so faithful to this church 
for so many years that this church is still ministering to her family, that we were still here and available for her family to help make sure that her daughter could find her way home. Amen. Hallelujah. That's an open door. That's an utterance. That's an ability to speak into somebody. We're talking about eternal. We're talking about not just something just to pray, you know, for a, 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 a trivial need. She had an eternal answer available to her. Not everybody has that. There are a lot of people who leave this world and they, they, don't, they don't have anybody who's prayed any supply available. There's no shelves stocked in their lives because nobody's been praying to make that power available. Nobody's been opening a door for them to find the gospel. Hallelujah. We want to be that open door, not just so that we can hear the utterance, but there are people who need to know what we know and need to know who we know. And the only way they're going to know is if we have a spiritual door open to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the preaching of the gospel.